Welcome to Replay Value, the podcast that deep dives into the movies we all love to watch over and over and over again. I'm your host, Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. Today's episode, we're going to talk about the 90s classic action movie, Die Hard on a Bus, Jane DeBont's action-adventure crime film, Speed. I'm glad you came in and called it uh, Die Hard on a Bus right out the gate because that's what it was known as and that's kind of how it um, kind of how it even almost had its start. So let's go ahead and get into the actual production of the movie and how it did come to be made. Well, screenwriter Graham Yost was told by his father about a movie called Runaway Train starring John Voight. Uh, now this movie was about a train that speeds out of control. His father mistakenly believed that the train situation was due to a bomb on board, uh, and that theme had already been used in the 1975 film, uh, 1975 Japanese film, The Bullet Train. Uh, but after seeing Runaway Train, uh, the screenwriter, Graham Yost, decided that the movie would have been better had there been a bomb on a bus, with the bus having to go 20 miles per hour to prevent the actual explosion. And... And I did read that, that it was 20 miles per hour that he wanted the bus speed to be at, which uh, would have made for a less interesting movie. And I believe there was a friend he consulted that kind of pushed him to say, maybe you should do it 50 miles per hour, which is admittedly a, a, a better direction to go. Yes, and I think we'll agree it did make it a better movie. Uh, now, the film's original title was Minimum Speed to reflect the plot element. Uh, eventually, though... Gramios concluded that using minimum in a title applied a negative connotation, if you will, and he just redubbed it or retitled it Speed. Yeah, he mentioned uh, in, the, in the interview that I read, and, uh, and this was like a, an interview that kind of talked about the 20th year anniversary of the film, which was a, a happened a few years ago, that kind of what you said, minimum speed, um, the word minimum didn't really lend itself to, it kind of felt like it was a movie lesser than it. That's the feeling it would have given audiences and he actually compared it to the less than critically acclaimed sequel speed to cruise control that the kind of the the phrase cruise control has the audience think oh i can just sit back it, it's not a good title for an action movie and he said as much now um when he was working on the script of the of of speed do you know what TV show he was a writer for. Did you happen to come across that Warren? No, I did not. Okay. I, I, I didn't see it at first, but I read another interview and I, uh, he was actually a writer for the television sitcom full house. <laughs> what? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. And he worked on the script over four weeks after working on full house. He didn't feel like it was for him. Uh, and him and his wife went up to a wedding. I imagine working on a show like Full House would probably get old pretty quickly, writing those, you know, le learn a lesson and hug it out at the end of every episode. I, it, uh, it's so formulaic. Yeah, so you can see, I mean, obviously didn't agree with him because he went from something formulaic like that over to, uh, a, you know, a ultimate the ultimate 90s action movie speed. So I just thought that yeah. was very, very, very cool a fact. That is pretty neat. It's humble beginnings. Uh, now, the uh, initial script uh, had the whole movie took place exclusively on the bus. And when uh, Graham Yost went and pitched it to Paramount Pictures, they wanted to make the movie. Uh, Paramount wanted to hire, interesting enough, John McTiernan from Die Hard, the director of Die Hard. Uh, and he declined, felt it was too similar to Die Hard, but he did recommend Jan DeBont, um, who had been the cinematographer on Die Hard, Hunt for the Red October, Lethal Weapon 3, Basic Instinct, so a very accomplished cinematographer, director of photography, and numerous feature films. But Speed marked his directorial debut, and he went on to direct Twister, The Haunting, Tomb Raider, and Speed 2. Uh, yeah, and, and we mentioned Speed 2 earlier. We, that was not, I guess, one of his more, more illustrious titles out of the ones you just mentioned, but... Widely considered the worst sequel in film history. And it's just wacky that the, you know, 
like you said, John McTiernan, turn it down. And this cinematographer got his directing career started off of this recommendation. And even though Paramount didn't end up picking up the movie, that recommendation from McTiernan held through and he was able to, to land his first directing job. That's awesome. Mm. And the main reason Paramount ultimately passed on the project is they didn't feel audiences would want to see a two-hour movie on a bus. They were wrong. So after Paramount passed, they took the film to 20th Century Fox, which also distributed Die Hard. Uh, Fox agreed to greenlight the movie on the condition that there were action sequences in the film other than on the bus. Okay, so at this point, uh, DeBont suggested starting the film off with a bomb on an elevator as he had an experience of being trapped on an elevator filming Die Hard. And that that was a really great choice because it, it, it really goes a long way to setting the tone of the characters and their interactions between, um, you know, Jack and Harry, uh, Keanu Reeves and Jeff Daniels characters versus Dennis Hopper as Howard Payne and establishing that the dynamic as them as partners one, but how they interact with the villain too. Um, so it was a, a brilliant stroke to, to add that in before the bus scene takes place. Well, it also establishes them as rather accomplished heroes. Uh, they win the Medal of Valor. They're awarded by the Los Angeles Police Department, which is considered the highest honor an officer can uh, be awarded uh, in the line of duty. Uh, so it re- really does a lot to also establish these characters um, and, and their contributions uh, that they've made thus far. Uh, these aren't rookies, uh, if you will. They, they've, uh, they've seen some shit. And it really launches the narrative of the story itself and, and sets into place some foreshadowing, like when uh, Jack, you know, Keanu Reeves' character is saying, you know, remind me again why I do this job. He said, I'll just do it for 30 more years and you get a gold watch. So that kind of ties in later on to the bomb being used. Um, you know, of course, there's the classic scene where uh, Jack shoots Harry in the leg to get him out of the hostage situation and kind of puts forth that narrative of him being at the office while everything else mm-hmm. is going on. So, uh, again, uh, a brilliant decision to add that in. Um, the most enjoyable part of the movie, I will say, of course, is you feel like it's an hour and a half climax of them being on the bus but this was an almost necessary scene in hindsight or uh, the whole elevator sequence to, to set up the rest of the story. Yeah, it really did. And the, the film wouldn't be the same without that opening sequence. And they also decided to end the film on a subway train. Um, so Fox immediately greenlit the project following these two changes to the script. Now, what is I found so interesting is Jane DeBont brought in Joss Whedon, uh, to polish up the screenplay, essentially write out the dialogue, and he is credited with writing 98.9% of the dialogue. Uh, Whedon also reworked Jack Traven um, once Keanu Reeves was cast. Um, and we can get into that more with the casting of, of Keanu Reeves, but um, we, Whedon had, a, had a, a big hand in shaping what this movie ultimately became, um, not only with the changes to Jack Traven, but... You know, he also wrote the pop quiz hotshot line. And um, they had, a, you know, Graham Yost had originally planned for Harry Temple to be the villain. Uh, but when Dennis Hopper was cast, they felt with the script they had and with Hopper, Howard Payne was readily worked as a villain. So that there was no need for Harry to be complicit, you know, in in the bombing. Yeah. And that, that Yost has said as much in that uh, Hopper, I believe, was going to be an early villain. But Harry was going to be kind of the twist ending the reveal that he was he was the main one. But once, like you said, once they cast Hopper, uh, he did such a, a great job. He was he was believable as a great villain without having to set up a lot of backstory. Yost was very much against having a villain that didn't have a direct interaction with the hero. He didn't want that. But Hopper uh, being casted single handedly changed his mind, which. Uh, you know, it's well, Dennis Hopper. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and there's a couple castings actually ended up changing the shape of the story, and we touched on them with Harry and with uh, uh, with Howard Payne, those those two characters. But uh, the filming uh, lasted uh, just over three months. It, they started shooting in uh, on September seventh, nineteen ninety three. Shot till December twenty third, nineteen ninety three, in Los Angeles. They shot a lot of this on the one hundred five and the one ten freeway in Los Angeles. Um, 
what is really cool, and it's one of the endearing elements about this movie, is the practical elements of the film, the stunts, the effects. Not a lot of CGI, really, at all. Uh, I mean, it's models and it's people doing stunts. In fact, Keanu Reeves, who at first was rather apprehensive about the action sequences, kind of nervous about it, became more and more comfortable and ultimately ended up doing about 90% of his stunts. And and I guess the stunt bug kind of bit him on this movie because he would famously go on to do a lot of his own stunts in the Matrix trilogy. Whoa. He, he must have liked something in it, but one that I read about... Well, what, what, yeah, one of the big ones was the uh, when he jumps from the Jaguar onto yes. the, the bus when they're both moving. Which is... Uh, the, I mean, if you watch that, you can tell that there's a little bit of danger there. Uh, that was... It was pretty awesome that he was... Uh, he kind of channeled his inner Tom Cruise to do that. You can even see with the landing when he ends up in the car, it is not a pretty landing like he's still hanging out of the car you know it was uh it had a real struggle to it yeah so it was uh uh it took a lot of bravery for him to do that but i mean you know he again i feel like something though ignited in him he got bitten by the stunt bug because he continued to do it for the rest of that film and does it for you know john wick the matrix so Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that's going on i do want to talk about since we're kind of in the production still of the movie we have to talk about the theme of this movie one of the best themes of i would say a personal favorite it may not be on a lot of all-time lists but it's one of the best themes of all time for me just it gets you in the mood in the mood for the movie yeah i mean speed the score was influential on action movies kind of that acoustic presence uh you know that 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 edgy metallic percussion uh you know which really characterizes a lot of the action films from that time it, it was really one of the first action movies to use that kind of score but you listen to it now, and it's it screams '90s to you. But it almost encapsulates a, the '90s action movie genre just through the music itself. Like when it has that opening credits where it's got the you know the the title sequence going down the elevator shaft, and and the music is you know really really pumping. You are in it. You're like, yeah, I'm ready for an action movie. Um, yeah. Now, funny. Or- well, and and the, the music is really a character in this film, and I think one that's one of the things that modern day films have gotten away from is studios have become a little more cautious, and the film is kind of more of a dense, a distant character. And I feel like, it's, especially compared to movies of yesteryear, when you look at films of different eras of the past, that the music plays a bigger part in the film, uh, and it typically has a. a a bigger presence than, than it does today. Yeah, I would say that uh, the Tarantino line of films is what gets a lot of the credit now for uh, had the music playing a big role. I, I watched the movie Baby Driver recently, which gets a lot of credit for that, but it's it, they are few and far between. Now, earlier you mentioned that it was... <laughs> I, I kind of laughed. You mentioned that the stunts in it were very practical. They didn't use a lot of CG. Now... Although they didn't use a lot of CG, I don't know if I would call them necessarily practical because the famous bus jump on the ramp. It was debunked in 2009 by the Mythbusters. I'm aware that that was never possible. I just mean that you don't have a lot of uh, all the effects. It's either model or they had stunt people really do it. Um, What's interesting with the bring up the bus jump is the first day they didn't report this at the time and actually missed the ramp and it failed to destroy the bus. They couldn't use it. They had to come back two days later and film it. Uh, and then um, they ended up, you know, getting getting the, the shot they needed. Yeah. It, originally, the bus jump wasn't even in the script. Uh, Jan DeBond on set whenever they saw that the section of the highway was incomplete, he asked uh, the Yost to add it in. And they did, and they ended up gutting the bus. There was only the driver in there, and he had a, a special harness. And, and actually, they set up the cameras because uh, they thought it would only go about 50 feet. Uh, they, sh- they set up the cameras to about that distance to capture it. It ended up going about much further than that. I'm wanting to say like maybe 90 feet. Crushed, broke all of the cameras that were set up to take the shot except for one that they ended up using. So... Uh, not a lot of planning went into it. Uh, fortunately, no one was injured. Um, but uh, one funny thing right out the gate of the movie that remind that just kind of uh, reminded me that, yes, I'm getting ready to watch an action movie is when the cops and the SWAT team get summoned to the, the opening sequence at the elevator, the police are called. When you see Jack and Harry arriving in their cruiser, they pop over a hill about 20 feet into the air 
and land perfectly with no issues, and you're just like, this is just, uh, you, you know, you get it's over. It just <laughs> yeah, it's, screams over the top. So it's a 90s. little, yeah, yeah. It's a little uh, movie extra for sure. So let's get into the year the movie was released. Uh, some stats and awards about it. Uh, Warren, what did this movie open up to box office wise? Well, box office the opening weekend. It was released June tenth, nineteen ninety four. Uh, summer release one week before the OJ chase. Uh, the final cut of the film came in just under two hours, one hundred sixteen minutes. Opening weekend, $14.8 million in the U.S. on a budget of $30 million. Now, the U.S. box office went on to gross $121.2 million with a worldwide box office take of $350 million. And if you take that money domestically, that uh, what they you know, pulled in in the U.S. was actually $268.8 million if you were to trans, uh, kind of transpose that into 2018 money uh and like you said a 30 million dollar budget so they they were it was a a a huge uh huge success as far as what it pulled in in fact that they knew that they had something special with this movie it was originally going to be an august release and uh the producers and the studio wanted to pull it ahead they knew they had a hit and they wanted to make it a summer blockbuster and and it delivered. Yeah, it really did deliver. Not only was it a huge hit with audiences, uh, critically it was acclaimed as well, and it was nominated for three Oscars. It won two, one for Best Sound, one for Best Sound Effects, and it lost uh, Best Editing, Best Film Editing. I could not believe that because I, I, you don't typically think about this movie. I mean, great, it's very entertaining, yes, but being critically acclaimed and winning Academy Awards, I mean, it's uh, two two Oscars, and it's sitting at a ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That is astounding to me that it is that well received for a mid nineties action movie. Yeah, I mean it's a classic action movie of the time, and uh, it's aged incredibly well. Uh, and again, some of the stuff, the, the costumes, the clothes, uh, you know what Annie wears, and some of the music, it does date it a little bit, but still a very enjoyable film uh, through and through, and an uh, easy watch, and and. You know, when you look at when the film came out in 1994, we've established in previous episodes how great of a year this was for film. Uh, single-handedly, probably the greatest year of movies in cinema history. I mean, you really put it up there on the Mount Rushmore of years of what movies came out. Uh, we've mentioned numerous other movies before. I'm going to give you just four titles from that year that came out. Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Lion King. I just only named four movies. That gives you an idea right there. I mean, just absolutely just out of the park year uh, for film. And this movie actually opened up against um, City Slickers 2, uh, which you know was estimated to do very well. It ended up winning it out. So that was a that was that was a big deal for for that movie. And, uh, and I know you hear it today, 14 and a half or 14.8 million, whatever it pulled in opening weekend may not seem like a lot, but at the time. You know, back in the mid '90s, it's it was pre-Marvel, pre-blockbuster, you know, huge blockbuster movie. That this was this was a bona fide hit. Yeah, yeah, it it was. It was uh, it hit the zeitgeist bullseye. And just to kind of give you a time capsule on on on, on what pop culture was like when this came out, some '94 music hits, real quick. I swear by All for One. Yeah. Of course, can you feel the love tonight by Elton John? And a couple big albums. Some of the first one I ever bought: Green Day, Dookie, Ooh, and Nir- nice. Nir- and Nirvana Unplugged. I remember they had Woodstock '94 that year, so this was the peak of the punk rock. Oh yeah, I, of course. I mean, I wasn't old enough to to go to Woodstock, but I, I definitely remember that was a it was a great year for music and for movies. So, um, let's get into the casting of the film itself, as far as how the principal actors uh, won their roles. Let's go ahead and start out with Keanu Reeves as Jack Traven. Uh, from what I read, he was not the first choice for this role. Uh, no, he wasn't. Uh, the, Jack Traven, the hero of the film, uh, the protagonist. Um, Stephen Baldwin was the first choice uh, to bull- play Jack Traven. Such bullshit. That could have been, oh my God, it could have been so bad. Yeah, they also considered Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Wesley Snipes, and Woody Harrelson. 
Of course, at the time, especially Cruz and Hanks, these guys were getting just thrown all, all, all every script that came out, you know, and they so they, they turned down many, many projects, this this being one of them. Yeah, and this part, Jack Traven, especially after Joss Whedon rewrote it, really became a very Tom Cruise type of role. I could really see because he's very concerned with human life and he's very much the – just how Jack Traven has played is just like a nice guy. Uh so I could certainly see why Cruz was in contention for it. Uh, and now they eventually did offer the role to Reeves. Jane DeBont cast Keanu Reeves after seeing his performance in Point Break. Now Reeves originally turned down the role. It wasn't until Joss Whedon rewrote Traven that uh, Keanu uh, Reeves signed on. Joss Whedon changed Traven from a maverick hotshot to a polite guy trying not to get anybody killed, making him more of an earnest character, which really Keanu – responded to and, and, and really helped him kind of ground the character. Uh, he spent two months lifting weights, getting ready for the role, and he buzzed his head, which freaked studio executives out because at this point Keanu Reeves had always had long hair. Um, but they they settled down, and uh, Keanu Reeves was ready to go as Jack Trevin. Yeah, he, he, he shaved his head because he wanted to portray a character that was very much in control and that you could see as a cop. Um, and, uh, you know, he wanted to, for obvious reasons, he went to the gym for two straight months to, to, to you know, beef up for the part uh, physically. But the the change uh, to to the hair was a bit was a much bigger deal to the studio. But it, it was one for the best. He's much more believable as a good guy cop, and that was part sure. of the that was part of the reason that Debont uh, looked at his Point Break role. He felt like he had that vulnerable side that could be caring for uh, his fellow citizens that he was protecting. Uh, moving on to Annie, the uh, Sandra Bullock character, she was not the first choice either. That actually was uh, was originally offered to Hal Perry. To Halle Berry. Yeah. Yep. She turned down the role of Annie because originally uh, the character of Annie was an African-American woman who was a paramedic, and this was to justify her being able to handle hand, you know, driving a bus through the streets of LA during rush hour and through Working traffic. Working well under pressure, yeah. Exactly. Uh, lots of changes to the character uh, before they ultimately did cast Sandra Bullock. After Halle Berry passed on the role, um, they made her more of a comedic sidekick and Ellen DeGeneres was considered for the part. Uh, before they did, ultimately the character kind of evolved more into a sidekick love interest to Jack, which led to Sandra Bullock being cast. Yeah, and the, the 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 screenwriter Graham Yost he actually defends the almost casting of Ellen DeGeneres to this day, saying that she's a very good actress, she's very good, she's very talented, and for the way they would have worked her character, he believes she would have done great with the part. But you know, we we can only judge the movie for what we've seen, and Sandra Bullock is an absolute perfect casting uh, for the. Well, it's uh, a breakout performance for her. I think she benefited from this film's success just about as much as anybody. Yeah, and then of course you know watching her uh, in my you know preteen uh, adolescence, she quickly became a uh, a Hollywood crush for young Philip. <laughs> well, and we look at Dennis Hopper as Howard Payne, who's the antagonist, the villain. Uh, Jane DeBont cast Dennis Hopper because he didn't want a typical villain; he just wanted an ordinary guy who snapped. You know, kind of like Michael Douglas and falling down. Mm-hmm. And so Howard Payne was made the villain after Hopper was cast, as we mentioned before. And a great choice there. Um, you know, just uh, absolutely great casting as the villain of the film. Very believable. You see his motivations. You understand it. And he's truly menacing as this character, especially with just like the, the, the scenes where he randomly cackles on the phone or when he's leaving the uh, the opening scene where he, you know, uh, Jack shoots Harry and he stands yeah. there with the bomb and he does almost like a Joker esque Heath like a Heath Ledger Joker esque mm-hmm. kind of the cackle and then he has the bomb and he just kind of turns on a dime the door shuts and then it explodes but he has an almost be- like he's like a modern day not really a Joker but he has that quality to him I don't, I don't know if you, you kind of well Dennis Hopper that. was such a yeah he was such a classic movie actor that you give him a role like this and he can really just deliver like a lot of he has a lot of and we'll get to, when we get to the best lines he has a lot of one-liners that if a lesser actor says them they don't work yeah he channeled the fuck out of Howard Payne he was that character it was great you know real quick uh, before Dennis Hopper was cast though uh, Jack Nicholson and Robert De Niro were considered for the role 
I mean, again, a situation where I feel like they were, they're offered so many scripts in Hollywood, even at, you know, especially at this time in their heyday at the peak of their careers. They just one of many that they turned down probably at the time. I doubt it actually got to any, even anywhere close to them, you know, looking at the part. Sure. This is probably on the dream list. And Ed Harris was, was originally set to play Harry when Harry was going to be a villain. But when Jeff Daniels was brought on, they didn't feel that that was going to be as believable as again, played off the situation with Dennis Hopper being cast with those two castings. It really changed who ended up being the villains and who didn't. But uh, Ed Harris would have been, uh, you could see him really selling the hell out of that twist. Yeah. You, he could, he could make that turn. It's, the relationship between the movie we see with uh, Keanu Reeves and Jeff Daniels as partners, a little bit, little would have been a little bit harder to believe. Sure. And before we move on, we have to mention there's some great character actors and some bit parts. Beth Grant, who plays Helen, she was uh, played Mark Wahlberg's mom and rock star. Richard Schiff, who I mentioned before, had a bit part as the subway driver at the end. Dennis Hopper kills him. Alan Ruck, Cameron from Ferris Bueller, plays oh, yeah. Stevens. Yeah. Got to give him a shout out. Uh, Richard Lineback uh, plays uh, Norwood, the uh, uh, right-hand man of uh, Lieutenant McMahon. And Patrick Fischler, uh, who plays the friend of the executive in the elevator from Mad Men, Twin Peaks, been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, th- there was a lot of uh, faces that I saw. I was like, holy shit, it, it's that person. Like, And that's what you say anytime you see a character actor is, holy shit, it's that person. You've seen them in so many things since this movie was released. You just don't realize that they were in this movie until you go back and watch it. So with that, let's get into our favorite scenes and lines from the movie. I love doing this because as I go back and watch it, I really want to pick out what's my favorite. Uh, But with this movie, I think that we're going to land on the same ones, at at least for one. And if we don't, I'll be very surprised. Uh, So let's start out with your favorite scene, Warren. So my nominees, uh, the obvious one, the bus jump scene. when the bus hits the baby carriage of cans, it's another nominee. Just that's a, a moment, great one. really. That's it's a really great, great. Cause when you see that for the first time, your heart drops in your chest. I mean, you're like, Oh my God. Um, Harry dying, which again, another moment that really takes the wind out of you. You just don't see that coming. Um, even Jack Trevin under the bus trying to, uh, disarm the bomb. Uh, another nominee real quick. The, uh, the first bus that gets blown up and he runs and he's on the payphone with, uh, Howard Payne, it's a, I love that sequence. Really, that opening sequence. I love the way that that one is shot because like you, the camera like shows him in the car and then it pans around. It shows the bus in the distance. So it's really, really shot very, very well. So I, I, I really, really like that scene. And, and it's that uh, sequence, really, that kind of leads me into my favorite scene. It's that opening sequence the, where the first bus explodes. He runs to the payphone. Great scene with him on the phone. And then my favorite scene, or that sequence, my favorite sequence, Jack chasing the bus in the Jag and boarding the bus. Wait a minute, what are you doing? Are you insured? Yeah, why? No, no! Ah! Broke my, my door. Sir, I need to take your phone. Take the phone. Take the wheel. What? What? Bullshit. Bullshit. great oh, i love it yeah i almost picked that one that was um that was a very very good choice um again it's right where the climax of the movie starts and it really takes off from there you have the the stunt that keanu reeves does and just the whole everyone figuring out the bombs on the bus it just uh, uh, i really really like that choice um my favorite scene and 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 there were several in there i like the baby carriage scene you mentioned earlier uh that was almost one uh and, and the one i actually ended up choosing is you're one of your nominees uh, is the scene where Jack gets off the bus. He is strapping on his uh, um, bulletproof vest and he's getting on that little uh, undercarriage thing, that little roller thing uh, to go under the bus to take a look at the bomb. What is that? I 
have no idea. for very long. I just need a few minutes. If I can't do it by then, I can't do it at all. Harry, you with me? Yeah. You be careful, Jack. What is he doing? Oh, my God, he is insane. music is playing as he runs it under there dangerous as hell very very cool scene and for some reason when i was watching it as a kid i wanted to like ride on one of those things now you know as someone as an adult i'm like wow i was an idiot that's so dangerous yeah but it did seem really really cool when i was a kid but that that has got to be my favorite scene i love that 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 whole sequence Mm, yeah it certainly had you on the edge of your seat and uh i almost went with that one um, can't go wrong with either one, though. Again, one of the one of the endearing qualities of all the films that we do on replay value is because the movies are they have a high replay value. There's a lot of great scenes, and Speed is no exception. Yeah, and that was really cool thing about this as an action movie is that even though most of the movie is on a bus, they found ways to keep it fresh and new challenges. It's like the guy who was a convict take shooting Jack getting on the bus, the whole getting off the bus, the woman. You mentioned earlier falling. So uh, the the bus jump, there's set piece after set piece that keeps the action moving along. It doesn't get stagnant, even though you're you're on a bus. So it seems kind of basic and lame, but it, it stays fresh. Moving on to our favorite line of the movie. Uh, I will go ahead. <laughs> no, you know what? I think we, we better pick the same one for this one because we all know what it's the most famous one from the film. Uh, I went back and forth on the others that were there, but I'll go ahead and warn. What did, what did you pick? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, we talked about it earlier, the great performance Dennis Hopper gave and even Keanu Reeves, a couple characters. There's a lot of one liners in this movie. Uh, and a lot of them are cheesy, uh, in, in the hands of a lesser actor, they don't really play, but like, you know, I'll just mention a couple of these cheesy ones real quick. Don't fuck with daddy. Yeah. The basement. Uh, you know, when he asks him if anything's going to stop the bomb, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a good moment like when Dennis Hopper's like, I'm smarter than you, I'm smarter than he kills him and it decapitates him. And then Keanu Reeves, after he dies, is like, yeah, well, I'm taller. Really kind of a cheesy thing to say to that very guy cheesy. Kill him. That, that was pretty cheesy, yeah. Um, and then when the highway's not complete, he's like, it's completed on the goddamn map. And he's like, looks like they fell behind. You know, like, come the, the, on, the, man. the delivery of that line was pretty good. But yeah, yeah. again, cheesy for a cop to say that. Like, yeah, no cop yeah. would say that. Yeah, yeah. You know, or even like, uh, yeah, but just a couple of the, the, the one-liners there. Some nominees. Um, there's gum on my seat. Gum. She, like, puts the gum in his face. Um and I really, and this is more of an exchange with Harry and uh, um, Jack when they're after the Medal of Valor award. I'm gonna go home, have some sex. <laughs> Harry, you're gonna go home and puke. Yeah, well, that'll be fun too. Yeah, I, I almost, I'd really like that line. It's a twist, I almost, or to kind of go off um, the the cliche. I almost picked that one. I, I, I thought that was really clever. Yeah, some other nominees. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. You know, when he's the guys in the car and they're trying to board the bus from yeah. a favorite scene. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, again, Dennis Hopper has a lot of awesome one-liners, too. Like, you pick up the bus driver's teeth, they'll give you another medal. Focus, Jack. You know, all that stuff. And that leads me to my winner. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, bomb is armed. If it drops below 50... It blows up. What do you do? What do you do? Yes, you have to pick this line. Clearly the one that I chose to. You can't go against it. If you pick any other line, then, you know, fuck you. It's, it's, oh, this was your line? Yes, this was my line. I had to pick it. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. You had to pick it because this is the plot of the movies essentially in the, the line. I mean, it sets the whole premise and it hooks you. You're like, okay, I'm I'm with this movie till the end credits. What's where's this ride going? I'm on board. 
Yeah, and just as we mentioned earlier, credit to Joss Whedon for coming up to that. Uh, originally, it was just grandiose to describe it as a blah, 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 do this, do this. What do you do? What do you do? The whole pop quiz hotshot, which has now since become iconic, um, was a whole was entirely Joss Whedon. So, uh, and I actually made an effort not to pick this as my. Favorite I did too. Line, I and did I could too. not. I came back to it. And I'm like, it has to be my favorite line. It just has to. And one of my nominees was uh, I love his delivery on it when uh, Alan Ruck says, hey, "We're at the airport. I've already seen the airport. You know, just very dry. It's yeah. great." Um, but uh, yeah, you have you have to go with that line. Um, so let's get into one of my favorite parts of the podcast. Let's cast the movie if it came out today. Uh, we'll start at uh, kind of what we do. We start at the we'll do with the principal actors, but kind of start um, at what you the supporting would call players. the more supporting players. Thank you. And we'll work our way up. So who did you have as Dennis Hopper's character? Um, you know, Howard Payne. Oh man, this is really tough. I, um, almost went with Brian Cox. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's, that would have been great. Yeah. Uh, but I settled on Brian Cranston. Oh man. Uh, that's good. I, I almost picked him, but I picked him in our last episode for Jurassic Park, and I didn't want to. It, it kind of conflicts with me to pick the same actor back to back, but he could play a great villain. He could, I mean, obviously Breaking Bad, but he, I, I could see him playing this part and getting. It into might that. be too on the nose because this is a very Walter White type character. A regular guy breaks bad. I mean, this Howard Payne used to be a police officer. I think it's fair to say he used to be what we would call in society, a decent human being and then broke bad along the way. And so Brian Cranston may actually pass on it for those very reasons. It may have been too similar to breaking bad, but ultimately I feel like his type, he would play it great. Uh, you can't go wrong with either Brian Cox or Brian Cranston in the role. Yeah, um, you're gonna laugh at my choice. I already know it. I can I can hear it. But uh, I, I I thought it was a cool twist off of like the Die Hard on a bus, and I could see him him doing it and just kind of having that kind of maniacal craziness kind of underneath the surface. I went with Bruce Willis. Oh, okay, Bruce. Okay, that's an interesting twist on the whole John McClane. Well, you know. <laughs> I mean, it could be like a, it could be a sequel to John McClane, you know, because he's a retired cop. Yeah, it could. He I mean, sacrificed he, a lot in a lot of different cities, and he's came through in a lot of different situations. What's he got to show for it? A gold watch. <laughs> Die Hard meets Breaking Bad. I mean, it's it works. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I, that's that's great. I, I think he'd be really good in that, and you would believe him as being very capable as well. And again, he has that kind of maniacalness underneath the surface. Uh, so let's move on yeah. to, uh, let's move on to Annie, uh, Sandra Bullock's character. Uh, I'll go ahead and start it off. Um, this was a little tougher. There was a lot, I felt like a lot of good options, but I wanted to meet, uh, kind of meet the, the guidelines of, uh, someone you could believe is a heroine who's very capable, but at the same time, a little bit has a little bit of an edge and kind of comic relief to her. Not too much, not the full Ellen DeGeneres route, but, enough kind of a very well-rounded actress i went with allison brie mm, i like that a lot yeah okay and i mean she's if you watch her in glow it's really a one of the best performances on tv yes and, and that, that was part of my inspiration she is you know the you know, principal character there but uh i you know I, I would imagine her in the sandra bullock part you know in all the scenes that she does i'm like Allison Brie would absolutely crush her. She could definitely do this part. Mm, yeah, I like it. Um, I, I, I narrowed it down to three people. I'll give you the two nominees before revealing the winner. Shailene Woodley. That's good. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, I would that would have been a great great choice there. Mm, yeah. Myla Kunis. Oh, dude, holy shit! I almost picked her. I think I almost cast her because I think that she's. She's so close to being my cast, but I ultimately didn't pick her. But she was, yeah, she's, she's, I think she'd be really, really perfect. She for was role. my runner up for the casting of this. I, I, I'd also, she's my runner up. She's my runner up as well. Okay. So who did you have? Well, I ultimately chose Anna Kendrick. Ah, that man, you knocked it out of the park with those three nominees. All of those would have been, would have been great. If it were me, I would be, I think Anna Kendrick is almost given what she's played almost a little too goofy. I, I like the Mila Kunis uh, angle more. Uh, I still think 
I still think my choice of Allison Brie is the best, but I can see all of those being great, great choices for this for this character. Yeah, they're all. I mean, pick your poison. All, all the names we just named, they're all great. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's move on to Harry, uh, Jeff Daniels' character. Warren, who did you have? Uh, well, for Harry, uh, I narrowed it down to two people. I had, I thought of Miles Teller. And he can almost go Jack Traven almost, but he, I could see him as a Jack Traven. Yes, a very yeah, good Jack Traven. Yeah. But he's kind of on the border. I could almost maybe in a few years seen him play Harry at some point. I don't think it's out of the question for him to get cast as that character at some point, but probably not today. He's probably more leading man. Probably get more of the Traven role. So I went with Joseph Gordon Levitt. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Uh, he he's at the right age, but he almost plays a little young. You don't, um, but it, but at the same time, he also plays very intelligent. Uh, you mm-hmm. could see him as being the brains of the operation, of course, uh, until his uh, untimely demise, leaving Jack on his own. But I, I really like that casting. So who did you cast as Harry? Well, as you'll see this with Jack, too, I kind of scaled my main leads as far as Jack and Harry up as far as more experienced police officers. Uh, so for my Harry, I, I was thinking of someone who could play that intelligent side and, and be believable there, but at the same time, hold his own with the lead. Uh, again, I went a little older. I went with Mark Ruffalo. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. He plays, uh, characters who typically are very knowledgeable in a specific field. Yes. And, and whenever you hear my jack i think you will see i was because i really want to think about the chemistry between the two of them as partners so i wanted to find someone that could play off of him and although joseph gordon levitt is a great harry for for what you said i don't think he would play the best off of my lead as seeing them as partners that that being said my jack traven the keanu reeves's character the lead of the film the hero the hero and who I picked, it seems obvious, but I couldn't think of a better choice. I went went with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> he was one of my nominees. I really almost went that direction, uh, and I think you could hook the Rock into a lot of reboots nowadays. Definitely, the Rock would be great. It's low hanging fruit, you know. I know it. It is. is, and well, the Rock's really good at playing that same type of nice guy, trying to make sure nobody gets killed. Which you know, uh, but at the same time, Reeves, he's a badass. Exactly. And Keanu Reeves had even mentioned when he was cast that, you know, he had worked with LAPD before and really learned about their concern for humanity. So he tried to put that into the role. And you can really see that he really has a concern for human life throughout the movie. Um, And so The Rock, I think, would be great at that. He really, The Rock is such an empathetic leading man. uh, He would crush it. Uh, Some of my nominees, The Rock was one of them. Vin Diesel, Jason Statham. Uh, Again, yes, Statham was up there for me. Yep. Yeah, yeah, those are just I think for like the household go-to easy low-hanging fruit names. You know, here's a couple. Here's my last three though. These are my three finalists: Kit Harrington, okay. John Snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, Jay Courtney. Yeah. But I all I went with Michael B. Jordan as Jack oh. Trevor. Oh fuck! That's so good. Oh, he would make a. Oh man, he would crush that it. That is, yeah, he would crush it. That's a great, great. That'd be. Oh man, it's such a good casting. He would work well with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. They're more and, of the younger, up-and-coming LAPD. I could see that that would be. Yeah, be, and Levitt's, Levitt's still like probably you know a few years as senior too. So there's still that dynamic would work. You know, of you know Michael B. Jordan probably being a little bit more in his prime, physically fit, as opposed to Harry, who's more of the brains. Dude, yeah, man, Michael B. Jordan. If he was Jack Traven, maybe fuck you up. Now, that, yeah. That's a that's a good choice. I like that a lot. Um, all right. So uh, with uh, castings today done, uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, my absolute favorite part of the podcast: uh, fan theories. And I only have one fan theory for this film, and it's kind of a letdown because we talked about it in the Dumb and Dumber episode. You already know where I'm going with this. Uh, but for those who did not listen to that episode, there is a fan. <laughs> there is a fan theory. You already heard me say "dumb and dumber" connection, but there is a fan theory out there that uh, Jeff Daniels Harry is the same Harry from Dumb and Dumber. 
And it's all predicated on the fact that they have the same name. Uh, and, and it kind of goes, uh, you can listen to more detail in the Dumb and Dumber episode, but it kind of goes, uh, paraphrasing that, you know, they have the same name after the bomb goes off when Harry is thinking he's catching Dennis Hopper's Howard Payne uh, character that he actually survives that explosion, but he is so, he is so mentally devastated by what has happened and being a police officer that he almost has a, a mental breakdown and comes back and kind of rekindles his childhood friendship with uh, Lloyd from you know, Jim Carrey's character from Dumb and Dumber mm-hmm. and goes that path and st- you know, moves to Rhode Island and steps away from the police force. <laughs> so it's pretty wacky, but I, <laughs> it's so wacky. I love it though. I love it. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's funny. So and we, you know, take- that is a, that is a hell of a coincidence, though, when you have you know the same actor playing a character with the same name, and it comes out in the same year, and they're both huge in the same hits. year. Yes, exactly. So, uh, I, I I dig it. I like it. Uh, anyway, so to close out the podcast, we always talk about the legacy and influence of the film. And when you look at Speed, Speed was the pinnacle of the very specific sort of action movies that were released in the late '80s. Early 90s, we're talking Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, and more specifically like Die Hard On. There were a lot of films, and, and a lot of Speed's influence, Die Hard really gets a lot of the credit because we've all seen how influential Die Hard is, you know, three decades later nearly. But, you know, Die Hard on a Bus, Die Hard on a Boat, Under Siege, uh, Die Hard on a Plane, Passenger 57. So this concept was really ran into the ground after Die Hard and Speed came out. Yeah, there's no telling how many studio pitch meetings began with, oh, it's Die Hard on a such and such, like you said. Um, so for the fact that... Uh, yeah, remember even in Entourage when he's like, Matterhorn, it's Die Hard in an amusement park. What's not <laughs> yes, to love? Yes, still being used even to this day uh, because it's uh, you just instantly people know what you're talking about. But and I think that's, even though it falls into that um, into that niche as far as die hard on a whatever the fact that this movie became as successful and critically acclaimed as it was speaks to how good this movie actually is and how impactful it was exactly i was going to say of all the films that fall into that die hard genre the speed is really the only one that stands on its own as a success kind of like the kobe to die hard's michael jordan you know it really it accomplished enough on its own that you have to give speed its own uh, due Precisely. It's a very, very good way to put it. And for me personally, uh, given the age that I was when I first saw Speed, I probably saw it again, like a lot of great 90s movies, probably saw it when I was a little too young still. Uh, but it it was one of my first forays into the greatness that could be 90s action film. Uh, and it was, I mean, it's one of those where it is the ultimate replay value movie in the sense that if you see this movie on television at any point in the movie, you're going to sit down and be like, Oh, this is the part where such and such happens. I'm going to sit down and watch it. It, it, You, you see it on and you want to watch it from whatever point you're at. Absolutely. And personally for me, uh, one of my all time great replay movies uh, up there on the list with back to the future and training day, I've probably seen this movie over a hundred times easy. I, I've literally just watched it over and over and over again, uh, particularly in my formative years. And we talked about how great of a year 1994 was for movies. With that being said, Entertainment Weekly ranked Speed as the eighth best film of 1994, which is... That's high praise! I mean, that puts it right outside the Best Picture nomination <laughs> in terms of the top yeah. films of the year. And again, you have to kind of put that into terms that it is going up against every film you know the months you mentioned earlier Pulp Fiction you know Forrest Gump and this is an action movie you know you think about the action movies that are coming out this year in 2018 would you put any of them in the top 20 films that you have seen for this year so far and, and maybe some of the Marvel movies you do but as far as like your classic action film most of the time these don't have any place near near the top any place with critical acclaim not at all um and certainly if AFI was doing their top 10 movies of the year then, you almost feel like Speed certainly would have been recognized. Um, and speaking of AFI, this, that segues us into a, a American Film Institute 100 Years, 100 Thrills list where the American Film Institute listed the top 100 exciting 
action movies of the last 100 years, speed ranked number 99. Ooh, barely made it in there, but it's in there. And, of course, we talk about the franchise of Speed. Not a lot of activity after the release of this film. Of course, there was one sequel, Speed 2, Cruise Control, as we mentioned earlier, widely considered the worst sequel to a movie ever. Just right as Godfather 2 is considered the greatest sequel, this is considered the worst. Well, you know, to follow the diehard on a whatever format, Speed being successful and good as it was, was lightning in a bottle. To try to recreate a derivative formula is typically going to result in, it's it's probably a cash grab for the box office, but it's like, oh, well, let's do Speed on a boat. So you're essentially doing a diehard on a boat or on a cruise ship. It, it It just didn't work, you know, and plus Keanu Reeves didn't come back, so... Yeah, that, that, that definitely didn't help it. Well, and it was certainly, a, I wouldn't say a money grab for Sandra Bullock, but its stories are, is she agreed to do the film. If she did this one, they would finance another movie she wanted to make. Kind of the one for them, one for me uh, strategy is really her involvement in Speed 2 or what led to it. Uh, they had Willem Dafoe, and they brought in Jason Patrick. So some fine actors are in the movie, but it takes more than good actors to make a good movie. Yeah, I think it was the you know, the script, you know, and it, it was Graham Yost that came back to do it. I, did he do it, or was it the the director that came back to do it? Jan DeBot directed it. Oh, okay. Well, so not the same screenwriter, but you know, and that's probably you know the, the, the heard it. I think it was more of a cash grab for the studio itself, not uh, the director or any of the the actors per se. So not a great legacy as far as continuity of that uh, IP, but as far as the impact that it had on uh, the, the action movie genre and what it could do in that you could deliver a blockbuster that had critical acclaim Academy award wins. This was a great achievement for that. It really was. It, it hit all the marks and uh, really at the end of the day, it's just a great classic American action movie. And I think Roger Ebert summed it up best. He gave the film four out of four stars quote-unquote, films like Speed belong to the genre I call bruised forearm movies because (laughs) you are always grabbing the arm of the person sitting next to you. Done wrong, they seem like tired replays of old chase cliches. Done well, they're fun. Done as well as Speed, and they generate a kind of manic exhilaration, an ingenious wind-up machine, unquote. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and subscribe if you haven't already. It helps us out a lot, and and we really, really appreciate it. Remember to download new episodes every other Tuesday. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.